Hey everybody, I'm Neil Blackman and I am the host of the Florida Basketball Hour. Today's show will be in two segments. First segment we will have Eric Fawcett from Gator Country. Uh, and then the second segment, uh, Jake Winderman, who covers Florida basketball for Inside the Gators, will join us. Um, and we will talk uh, about Atlantis, about you know the disappointing tournament that Florida had. Uh, we will get into what kind of solutions Florida might want to look into offensively. Um, and we'll also take a deep dive into the metrics of, of Florida's offense and, and answer the question, you know, do Mike White's offenses really struggle as bad as sometimes our eyes uh, let on? And I think the answers are mixed. Um, you know, in some respect, you can't argue with the the spells of three to four minutes without a basket that, that seemed to, to hurt Florida in, in big games. Um, but there's also some efficiency numbers that say it's not quite as bad as, as people think. Um, so we'll get into all that, and then we'll talk a little bit about Florida's uh, big week coming up with uh, games in Madison Square Garden against West Virginia and back home for a huge one um, against Tom Izzo and Michigan State in the o- O'Connell Center at Zach Tech Arena December 8th. Hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. And um, we look forward to uh, y'all tuning in, and and thanks for listening to the show. If you can subscribe to our show on um, iTunes, uh, Spotify, any of the channels, uh, you know, check it out. You can listen to us on Anchor directly, which is how we record. Um, Any number of platforms, Google, we're we're available. So just check us out. Subscribe if, if that's an option. Give us a rating, please. Tell us what we can improve on. Um, tell me if I need to speak up, move away from the microphone, let them talk less, any of that stuff. And uh, happy holidays, and, and thanks again for, for listening to the Florida Basketball Hour. Talk to Eric first about a tournament that did matter, um, and that I think does matter, and that's Atlantis where the Gators went one and two and, and really didn't do anything to help themselves. Yeah, I think just like you said, they didn't do much to help themselves. Uh, I think that, that, like we talked about on a, on a podcast a little while ago, that, that first game against Oklahoma was just so important, like just to set them up for, uh, for more good games. Like, it, you know, it was obviously, um, you know, great that Florida beat a young Stanford team, but it just led them to, um, to another game that they ended up losing, unfortunately. And uh, I mean, I, I honestly think Florida was even lucky that, uh, that Butler got upset so that Florida ended up playing them. I know, uh, I know some people would have rather um, the Gators ended up playing Dayton and maybe getting a, a win or something there and a- ending two and one, but um, it, that really wouldn't, that would have been pretty empty from a resume standpoint. I know that people want to see wins in the, uh, you know, see numbers in the wins column and they want to see a better wins loss record. Um, but I think, yeah, people need to understand that though, you know, that would have been nice. Um, it would have been a little emptier in the, uh, from a resume standpoint. So um, yeah, unfortunately I would say that uh, I would say the tournament. um, I mean, I, I don't know if I would call it a failure, but it, uh, it certainly wasn't a success. Yeah, I could say. And, and okay, so in full, I was down there for two games and left um, before the Butler game. And it was always planned to leave before the third game. Uh, there was a chance if Florida had played better that I would have been able to narrowly stay if they had been in the <laughs> final. Um, but, you know... I knew heading down there that if they weren't in the final, I wouldn't see the third game. And, and, and yeah, and I think, I think you've, you, 
breaking down the sequence of the of the games, you you're you're spot on. I mean, uh, Eric is spot on. The, the, the Butler game was a gift, and I think that's why it hurt more than the Oklahoma yeah. game. <laughs> because you know, yeah, it would have been great. Let's play Anthony Grant and Dayton. And I was kind of hoping for that game quietly because um and I don't want to get into this too much right now, but you know how Twitter gets and it was a bad place to be, um, as it often is, uh <laughs> on after the Oklahoma game. And I was just happy to be in the Bahamas because I was like, all right, well, whatever. Everybody's really mad. And it would have been fun to see Florida play Anthony Grant just because of his ties to Florida. Um, and, yeah, I think Florida probably wins that game. But who knows the way that they played. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they beat Butler and Butler beat us. So, yeah. <laughs> so who, that, knows the, yeah. who knows the way that Florida has played in the first seven years? I mean, Florida has played anywhere from dreadful uh, which which I would characterize about a half of the Oklahoma game and the Florida State game to pretty good um, the Stanford game. So and, and Stanford's not good. I, I saw them in person. I was twenty feet from their bench. They're bad, but uh, Florida also played really well in that game. Yeah, and I know that's really tough for people to uh, to kind of. Uh put into perspective like even that north florida game i thought that florida played great but there's always going to be people that's like oh well it doesn't matter if you play great against stanford or 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 north florida it doesn't matter but um i I, when i when i see them play those uh when i see them play those kind of caliber of teams i i still am looking for for execution um and i i you've seen enough upsets in college basketball this season or or all around that um, to still beat to beat Stanford so handily is, is still impressive, and to see the way um, to say to see the way in which they uh, they were able to get good shots and the way that they they executed defensively. It wasn't like Stanford had wide open three after wide open three that they missed, and it wasn't like North Florida was blowing layups all game. Like, uh, Florida dictated um, tempo; they dictated what uh, how they wanted the game to be played. And um, I came away from both encouraged, though um, probably the encouraging feeling from Stanford. Um, washed away a little bit after uh, after losing to Butler right after. Um, I, I still was uh, encouraged to some point and and was encouraged by um, by North Florida um, e- even throughout the last three games. Florida's offense has um, steadily gotten a little bit better from uh, from an analytics standpoint. So um, hopefully there's something there. Yeah, I wanted to get into that because it actually has. Uh, they had a bad half against Butler, but one stat that stood out to me was that. <laughs> Butler um, shot 52% on contested jump shots in the second <laughs> half of that game. I mean, I mean if you're going to do that, like sometimes you're going to lose when that happens. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I, I coach, you know, what's, what's one of the first that would just contest shots, right? Like that's, you know, that's, that's a, a, a deductive starting point for defense. It's sort of like in football, they say you got to get lined up right because everything follows from that. And, and in, in basketball, you know, offensively, one of the things you want to talk about where everything starts from is your spacing. But in basketball, you know, uh, hand down, man down, or however you want to talk about it, contesting shots is really big. And when Butler shoots 52% on contested jump shots, well, you know, what can you do? And they probably have the best guard in the Big East. So I'm not making excuses for Florida. I'm just saying – it was kind of a weird two halves to me because Florida shot the ball at a high level in the first half from three-point range, so kind of had a deceptive lead. 
and then analytically kind of got burnt in the second half, um, despite defending at a pretty high level. Well, I think that's something, and I know you and me get, get pretty into analytics at times, and I hope people like that. But one thing about, um, about analytics, especially nowadays, is, um, and this concept is going to be pretty foreign to, uh, to maybe some people, but uh, there's a lot of people, and I'm almost in the school of thought, that, and, and I mean, especially in the early season, uh, whether or not a shot goes in shouldn't be really be how you evaluate how the game went. Um, there's something that, like it, there's something that some guys use called like expected shot value that factors in where the shot's coming from and if it's contested or not. Um, that uh, they they actually don't look at the results of the shot. They just look to see are you giving the other team bad shots and are you taking good shots your, your, yourself. And I think you look at a game like that and you say, hey, Florida gave Butler bad shots um they hit those shots but that doesn't make the shots any better and if florida continues to keep their opponents shooting bad shots um eventually that will start winning them games and i mean florida's defense has been really good so um i don't think there's any kind of question there but if florida is getting good shots um they'll they'll start to go in and we kind of have seen that and i think that especially in the early season you have to be more concerned with um the kind of the process than than the, the results yeah, no, I agree. And, and let's talk about process. I thought you wrote a really – obviously, we, we have Eric as a special guest every week, so we uh, value the, the work that he does at Gator Country a lot. But I thought the, the article um, about Kayvon Allen and Jalen Hudson was really interesting, and it, it prompted a longer discussion that I had had with some folks on Twitter during the North Florida game about, you know, how are they going to – what is the process of trying to get Jalen Hudson more involved? And, and I think some of it starts with effort and intensity on the defensive end. We saw him miss a closeout uh, early in the North Florida game and, and kind of uncharacteristic for Mike White to light into a player on camera like that. Um, you know, so I think there's something to be said for that and some something, whatever it is, off the court. But – there's also some strategy stuff that I think they're still trying to figure out with a different kind of point guard. Is there not? Oh, you, you definitely think so. Um, as much as you, you look at the way that Andrew Nembhard is a pass first point guard um, uh, and you might say like, Oh, that's kind of like Chioza. Um, you look at the assist numbers. Oh, that's a lot like Chioza, but really they are a, a lot different. And something that I, I think that might surprise people a little bit is that Florida didn't actually run um, many pick and rolls with um, Chris Chios last year. I, I maybe shouldn't say they didn't run many relative to the way in which most teams run pick and rolls with their point guard. Florida <laughs> right, did right. not use many, like, like Chris Chioza was not your primary um, point guard ball handler. It was, uh, there was more ran by Kayvon Allen and, and Jalen Hudson. And now you're seeing, um, as I pointed out in the article, you're getting like heavy, heavy, heavy pick and roll usage from, from Andrew Nemhart. Um, the team is not only using more pick and rolls than they did last year, but, um, yeah, Andrew Nemhart's taking a massive amount of them. And Jalen Hudson is a guy that, um, as we know, likes to have the ball in his hands, and he likes to create that way. And when he's on the floor, he has the ball in his hands a lot less, and, and I think that's an adjustment, um, especially from just kind of a rhythm standpoint. I think that Jalen Hudson is just such a rhythm-based player. His jump shots are not um, super repeatable. He, has, he kind of aims the ball, and that's what allows him <laughs> to hit tough jump shots. Um, right. But... Um, that also is just so reliant on touch and rhythm and having the ball in his hands less. I mean, that's, that's going to hurt. And uh, that's what also kind of makes, makes it tough to say like, how does the team get him going? Because uh, do you reward him and just say like, yeah, we're just going to put the ball in your hands and you're going to be the primary initiator and 
um, will give you, will give you a chance to create that rhythm that way. Um, that that's kind of tough when it's, it's like, well, this guy hasn't shot the ball very well. Do we want to take the ball out of Nemhart's hands and just give it to Jalen Hudson to figure out? Like, that's a little, that's pretty tough. And that's why I think getting Kayvon Allen going, um, is probably a little bit of a, probably easier. And, and I think we've actually seen that as he has played a little bit better, but, um, Jalen Hudson's just a very unique player with a unique skill set, and therefore it's going to be really difficult to uh, figure out how to get him going. Yeah, I mean, two things. One, and I want to get to Allen in a second because I think I think you you know that I think you're right about we're starting to see something, and and I'd argue, you know, offensively we did not in Atlantis, but I'd argue defensively we certainly did with Kayvon. But but sticking with Jalen for just a minute. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the solution is. I don't know if it's if it's to take the ball from Nimhard a little bit and and get into some sort of isolation type sets with with Jalen. I mean, we saw them do that with that's one thing, you know, where if they weren't doing primary pick and rolls with Chioza last year, one thing they would certainly do is space the floor and let Chioza operate in isolation. It's how they won the Cincinnati game, it's how they lost the Clemson game, right? So uh it you know. It, it worked some and it didn't work some. I don't know if Jalen Hudson is is a guy that you necessarily do that with just so you say, hey, you know, you get you get your jump shots off the bounce and maybe that's how you get him going. Because um, I don't think he's necessarily a great transition player when he pulls up either. He is an excellent transition player, like White said in the North Florida press conference when he kind of puts his head down and attacks the basket. He's wonderful at, get, at least last season through a lot of fouls. Right. Um, so, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not really sure. Uh, just kind of a wait and see. <laughs> uh, I, I've got to give a Jalen Hudson um, stat actually in transition that I uh, just found as I nice. uh, as I'm talking to you. So he is shooting 11.1% <laughs> in transition, which makes Look. him the uh, 1,624th player in college basketball <laughs> out of 1,644. So there he is, is almost the worst, uh, and um, relative to those, uh, to a lot of the players behind him, he has even more kind of attempts than them. So, um, yeah, he has really struggled in transition. And just as a little bit of a reference point, I always try to frame this, especially when I write, is um, like the league average in transition is probably around 56, 57%. Um, you know, those are the highest, though, and transition attempts are the highest um, field goal percentage in, in basketball, at least relative to all the. Uh, the possessions yeah. of synergy and he's shooting 11% there. Um, he's also like, that's, that's just, that's really tough. I'm um, also just, while I'm at this page, um, Hudson is shooting 21.1% on spot up attempts. So that just shows too, that he's, um, he's not being effective as a guy that can space the floor and be a three point shooter. So, um, I mean, you struggle in transition, you struggle to spot up and uh, that's a whole lot of offense um, just kind of tossed out. Yeah, I, and I think maybe maybe some isolation sets are really the way to get him going. Um, but in order to do that, you know, you have to be able to attack the basket and get fouled. And he hasn't shown really a willingness to do that, has he? No, and uh, I think like you said, uh, I think he just if, – if you're going to get him going, I think he's kind of shown to this point what he is, and that's someone who's – who is kind of an isolation guy who gets his own shot. So that's actually kind of why I like taking him off the bench, not because I, it's some demotion or anything like that. Um, I mean, for him, it actually is kind of a demotion. But generally speaking, <laughs> I don't think taking players off the bench is necessarily a demotion. Um, 
but yeah, I just get him out there with um, get him out there with uh, with some units that don't have as much uh, scoring and and let him just kind of be the guy and maybe let him get out there with Michael Okaru, who's not a massive offensive threat, and get him out there with Keontae Johnson, who's not a massive offensive threat, and just uh, yeah, let 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 him go to work. But um, Hudson kind of going and doing his own thing and putting up a pull up jump shot when he's got Andrew Nemhard and Kayvon Allen and Keith Stone on the floor. Um, that's probably not the best look you're going to get, but get him out with a more defensive lineup that can get it done on that side of the floor and say, Hey Hudson, you kind of make things work out here. Uh, that could be the way to go. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I think that's right. And, and I want to transition to, to cave on a little bit. I'm, you know, the defense from a defensive standpoint, one thing I liked about, well, let me back up back to your piece again. <laughs> one thing I really liked about the piece you wrote and I think you had written this earlier in the year about Kayvon too, and people just don't want to read it because they saw the Peach Valley Jam or they saw him play Wisconsin in the Sweet 16 or whatever it was. And there's this, just this idea that he's a guy that can fill up, or they saw him play Florida State as a freshman. You know, oh, he's a fill-it-up scorer. Well, I think, and I hate saying this because you kind of are what your numbers are, except maybe it's just the coach in me that feels like he's a better shooter. And I think Mike White feels this way too. I think he's a better shooter than his percentages say. Um, you know, I, I, I do, but I think it's about finding ways to make him more efficient. And he, he was certainly more efficient against North Florida. Some of that might be opponent. What he is doing that should be applauded and appreciated is impacting the game in other ways. So the idea that he's moping or not playing hard or not locked in is just decried. <laughs> yeah, by pretty much every possible defensive metric and assist to turnover metric, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, he's never let his offensive struggles um, kind of uh, affect him on the defensive end. I think the way that he um, gets his hands in passing lanes and gets steals is massive. Um, I see on Ken Palm, he is the 24th player in the country in steal percentage. And I do yeah. think that's super important for the Gators because um, their offense hasn't been awesome in the half court. So um, Kayvon Allen getting these like pick sixes or um, getting these odd man breaks because he gets in the passing lane and comes up with a steal. That's, that's really big because Florida needs to get those um, kind of points from their defense. And I think he's, uh, he does a really good job there. Um, I think he got a little bit of, um, he was into, he got put in some pretty tough spots on switches against Oklahoma, just having to guard bigs. Andrew Nemhart did as well. And I know some people kind of looked at that as, you know, maybe a, a negative defensive thing, but um, I, I, that when he gets switched on to a center, that's just is, is what it is. And you're going to give up those buckets in the switching kind of man scheme, but yeah, he's been great defensively. I have no problem with him there. Yeah, no, and that's something that Lon Kruger has always been kind of a master of. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's when people say Lon Kruger can coach, you know, he can coach. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I was just going to say this almost, I mean, this might be a conversation for another podcast, but um, Florida's <laughs> just about Florida's commitment to being a switching team um, versus a team like, um, which a lot of teams uh, don't pick on those switches very well, where Oklahoma picked on those switches super well. Cause Florida yep. was, Florida was willing to switch off the ball and all game. It was like, why, you know, it's like suddenly you look over and Andrew Nemhart's guarding Brady Manick and on the block or uh you know, Kayvon Allen's down there, like getting posted up or there's an offensive rebound that comes off and it's, um, what was that? Oh, Jamani McNeese over and over again, got offensive rebounds or, or I was posting up smaller guards on Florida. And yeah, um, anyways, yeah, we, we might, yeah. So, I mean, 
Um, whether we like um, that extent of switching might be a conversation for another podcast. But uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, the, like you said, um, yeah, he, uh, he did a great job of um, uh, capitalizing on that for Oklahoma. And I think, you know, and look, I mean, his if Kayvon's, if Kayvon is 13 points, five assists, however many rebounds, a steal and great lockdown defense on the other guy's best perimeter player. If that's who he is his senior year, then that's who he is. Right. I hate to put, I hate to put it that way for people because, again, I mean, this was a high four-star player. Um, you know, if college basketball recruiting season lasts two months longer, he was a five-star player, sort of like Devin Robinson in that regard. Um, and, and, you know, while he's not really an NBA guy, I don't think, he's somebody who's going to play for a decade in Europe, I guarantee that, because he plays such good defense. Um. But, but it just might be who he is. I mean, he might not be the guy that gets you 20 a night. Well, and I mean, that's, again, we talked about the narrative of the fact of him being a guy that can fill it up. And the fact of the matter is he's been a guy that's played a whole lot of minutes since he was a freshman. And that means we have a massive sample size with his game that we don't have with a lot of players. And uh, just kind of consistently throughout his uh, career, he's, although he has exploded for some big games, uh, from an efficiency standpoint, from a kind of consistency standpoint, he's uh yeah he's not really your primary scorer and i think that's kind of just um the thing if if jalen hudson was jalen hudson from last year then you'd look at Kayvon allen even this year when he struggled to score and been like hey that's a perfect fit next to a guy who can really score the ball or even if florida like um you know i i love andrew nemhardt i'm not trying to take away but if florida had um a scoring point guard then you'd look at Kayvon Allen and say, that's the perfect guy to put next to him, a guy who just doesn't need the ball and, and can defend at a high level. And just Florida's roster kind of composition has probably made um, made it a little tougher on Kayvon Allen um, and probably takes away from the fact that he's uh, that he plays good basketball even when he's not scoring at a high level. And because, yeah, like you said, I don't think he's he really is that guy. So I guess that kind of begs the question, just wrapping up uh... – the, the Eric Fawcett segment. Um, and, and if you want to stick around for, for 10 minutes so we can uh, talk about some of the metrics I looked at with white, with coach white, with Jake, then, then that's great. And I know you have to coach. So. Uh, oh, that, that sounds like a good conversation. So uh, I will stick around for that. I'll just <laughs> let you know now. Yeah, no. Awesome. Um, so I guess then the, the subsequent question is, is, uh, what what who who could be that guy and and where is Keith Stone and are those things related? Okay, well I'll start with Keith Stone. Um, I, I really like Keith Stone, um, but the the fact of the matter and I, I did write a piece about him before the season. Um, just looking at his game is he's just not a guy that creates offense for himself. Um, he's just not a guy that is great off the dribble. He's not a guy as as much as he's kind of like the stretch four. He's not a guy who creates mismatches at that position because he's not going to take a slower four and take him off the dribble. And he's not a guy that he shoots the ball well when he catches and shoots. He's not a guy that shoots the ball well when he pulls up off the dribble. So uh, when you can't make moves off the dribble in basketball, it really does just limit you as an offensive player. And I think that Keith Stone is just a very limited offensive player. And he's another guy that I think has, has defended a really high level this year. And he's shot the ball. Yeah. He shot the three at 50%. So if he, um, is just like a, a seven or eight point uh, a game guy, but plays good defense and shoots uh, shoots efficiently. Um, 
that that's really good. And, and I, I, I just see, I see Keith Stone as a guy that um, I probably used to think that his ceiling was a lot higher. And I, I've, I've probably come a lot down on that when I kind of just realized that he doesn't have a lot of skill with the ball in his hands, but he's a guy who could be an elite role player. Cause if you can shoot the three efficiently, like he has, and you can defend like he has, um, you can be a great role player. And those are the kind of guys that, uh, that you need. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that I think, and I think the trend that we're getting to is, is that you know a lot of Florida's offensive, and I say offensive issues with, with the, the asterisk being that I'm about to drop the hammer on some of that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I mean it's it's got to happen, and if it, if it needs to happen seven games in the season, so be it. Uh, but Florida has to get Jalen Hudson going, don't they? Uh, they do. Uh, they just. I, I'm not sure exactly what all they'll get into, but I do think that Florida <laughs> just lacks lacks guys that can create off the dribble, and I think yeah. that that was a problem last year. Um, they uh, Chris Chioza brought that a little bit. Um, I don't think he was great off the dribble because he, he his he wasn't a great finisher at the rim, which uh, mean, meant the teams didn't really have to help super hard on him if he got penetration. And yeah, Kayvon Allen not a great guy off the dribble, and um, I, I just think that um, that's kind of what they lack and. Jalen Hudson, if he can be that guy, uh, yeah, that would be that would change the offense. And like you said, I think they really need him. And I guess going back to your other question that um, that I didn't address, I think that DeAndre Ballard could be that guy, um, a guy that I came on this very podcast earlier and said that well, I wasn't we're, a big fan of his leave, game. We're gonna leave Dre Ballard to the first question for Jake Winderman. Oh, that's since, true. Uh, since Jake had him transferring. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think people will enjoy that. That's good. And I think it's only fair. I mean, you know, so we just got to give, like, I'm big on when I'm wrong, I'm going to be like, yo, <laughs> like, I really right. thought, I thought a summer with Pinkins would help Kavarius Hayes, who we really haven't discussed much. And we're going to talk about him after Florida beats West Virginia. See what I did there. But yes, <laughs> but, uh, but, but it, you know, Kavarius Hayes is not, He's just not offensively. That's all I can really say. And I know it's tough. That's a tough assessment to make. Um, but, I mean, he's got double figures offensive. He's got double figures in points. So I think Pinkins is actually coaching him up a bit. But but it's just a limited. He's just a limited offensive player. Hey, Hayes, is, uh, Hayes has more points than uh, Jalen Hudson. So uh, perhaps we should put some respect. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I, 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 he, he is a little bit up from his, in his points per game. And I'm actually going to do this um, at some point, um, probably <laughs> either before West Virginia or after, before the uh, sample size gets too bad. And I'm sure there's, more, uh, there's probably some tool that um, I could figure this out, but I don't know what it is. So I'm doing it manually. But I'm actually going to go look at every single one of Kavarius Hayes' made field goals. And I'm going to go see how many of them have been assisted by Andrew Nemhart. Because Nemhard has just spoon fed him some buckets, and um, that, <laughs> and I mean, like again, like Chioza was an awesome passer, but like man, has Kavarius Hayes benefited from from Andrew Nemhart, and um, uh, I think that, that yeah, so having a having some guy who can spoon feed him really good buckets is is great for Hayes, and um, he has, he, I mean, you still got to convert them, and he's, uh, let me look, he is shooting seventy one percent from the field, so uh, right, a little better, a yeah. little better. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, and he's shooting the free throw a little bit better. He's at sixty percent. So um, yeah, you, you've got you've got to make them. So uh, good for Hayes, but I think he's definitely benefiting from Andrew Nemhart and probably Pinkins as well. What's up, guys? Not much, Jake. So we're gonna um, we we had a lengthy kind of. I want to 
I want to kick the Jalen Hudson question to you, but but we had a long discussion about Kayvon Allen and and, and Stone. So we're gonna start with uh with with your boy, uh, DeAndre Ballard. My boy. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Um, it's I I think more than anything, one of the things that was most detrimental to him last season, which is something that Mike White does with a lot of guys, is. DeAndre would make a mistake or two mistakes on defense and basically be pulled out within 45 seconds or a minute of going out there. Now, we we all know that doesn't help as much with your development, and it really doesn't help for your confidence. I think that was something that was hard for DeAndre last year. It's something I've mentioned. It wasn't as much the offensive end, even though, he yes, he was shooting around 16% from three. It was on defense. He looked lost. He looked out of place. He didn't look like he knew what was going on. That's why he didn't play as much towards the end of last year. Sort of the same thing as we're seeing with Jalen Hudson this year. Now, it's sort of the opposite this season. DeAndre has been a pretty solid on-ball defender. He's really starting to understand Mike White's defense more, and he's not hesitating whatsoever. Now, we know he had a green light last season. He took that a little to at will where he would take bad shots. I think while he's taking a lot of shots, he's being a lot more decisive this year. And I think he's not 100% looking to score the basket. I think at times he's looking for the passer, looking at other things developing around the court. More than anything with Ballard, I think it's a basketball IQ thing. He looks like he understands the game way more than he did last season. He looks like a higher IQ player. He looks like he really took the offseason to learn the system. And honestly, more than anything, he's always been in shape. He still looks to be in good shape. And he's an unbelievable athlete, one of the better ones on this team. So it's definitely been refreshing to see Ballard play the way he has this season. Now, would like to see it against some bigger-time opponents. He's put up more of his numbers against the mid-majors and the low-majors. We've seen Florida play. But overall, there's not a player who's been more improved than DeAndre Ballard on this roster this season. Yeah, no, and and guys uh, follow uh, Jake at Jake Winterman on Twitter, and and he uh, does cover Florida basketball for Inside the Gators, so um, that's where to find him. You you mentioned confidence, and I think the one thing I I kind of thought about, I guess there's two types of confidence. Is there there's I'm confident in what I can do as a player, and and I have a good game, and I don't think DeAndre Ballard has ever really lacked that confidence. Like he's a, that's a guy that believed in, 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 believed and believes in his ability to play basketball. There's decision-making confidence too. And that's part of development. And yeah, and I think you touched on it and I'll kick it over to Eric. I mean, that's what I've seen. It's just, he's so much more comfortable making decisions. Um, you know, he took one, he's taken, I think maybe two of the, of the famed uh, 20 foot jump shots. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's taken a few more than that. I can actually. Well, actually, no, I can look. He has, has taken. Has he really taken the long two pointer more than twice? I know he made one against North Florida when I screamed no at the television. Oh, that was such a bad okay. shot. <laughs> so <laughs> we I, all know I, I, which I, one I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll actually give some numbers here because there's some pretty interesting okay. ones on Ballard. But we'll we'll start with that one. He has taken five jump shots longer than 17 feet and not a three-pointer. So, uh, you know, you said 20 feet um, and I said no, but between 17, so he's taken five and I mean, he's shot, he's made three of those, but um, so uh, he's still, uh, one thing that's been big is uh, he's gotten to the rim more and he's also has not missed a shot at the rim yet. He is 11 for 11 at the rim. 
Um, <laughs> he's still taking a lot of he's still taking a lot of guarded jump shots. He's taking uh, he's taking fifteen guarded jump shots and four unguarded. Um, <laughs> and uh, guess what? On the unguarded, he's shooting twenty five percent, and on the guarded, he's shooting fifty three point three percent. Of course. So uh, yeah, and uh, so there's a little bit like that that I'm a little bit concerned of like. You know, he's shooting 53.3% on guarded jump shots. He's shooting 60% on mid-range jump shots. Um, there's part of me that just wonders how sustainable that is because um, those are the shots that obviously didn't fall for him last year. But, um, hey, he's, uh, he's dripping with confidence. I love seeing his energy on the floor. And, um, yeah, it's, I, I'm happy that I was wrong on him. But um, there is part of me, and I'm not trying to be a, not trying to be a hater, but um, to see how many that he's – He's living and he's just thriving on guarded jump shots. Um, just historically, that hasn't been the place that you uh, uh, you have consistent success in college. Oh, you're, but, t- you're um, telling me that's not sustainable? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, particularly for a guy last year that shot like 8% on guarded jump shots. You know, so, um, But no, I, I, I'm, I'm happy that he's been scoring because uh, he's kind of – we've needed it. So we've talked, Jake, we've talked about how to get – Jalen more involved and we both kind of collapsed to this idea that that maybe the best way is to have him play in rotations where there's not really as good another another even (laughs) comparative scoring option and it's just Jalen in isolation and see if that works you have any other ideas no I think that's a good idea I think in terms of if you throw him out there in a lineup where you have I don't know let's say it's a lineup with Michael Okaru, Kavarius Hayes uh, I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, Keith Keith Stone's not a great answer because Keith Stone's offense has come around. But sort sort of Keontae Johnson. Yeah, yeah, with Keontae. Yeah, Keontae, Keontae Johnson. Johnson. But even even Keontae, and that's something I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But I, I think Jalen does have to far and away be the best scorer out there. One, it's the same thing we talked about with confidence with Ballard. I, I think Jalen's just sort of going through the motions right now because. He feels he's not getting the minutes he should, but he's also not playing up to the level that he should when he's playing. So I think there's a little bit of a problem going on there with both of those two aspects. But more than anything, he just needs to understand that he will not play if he doesn't play defense. This, this doesn't even matter when we're talking about offense here, where he, what rotation needs to be in or, or what kinds of shots he needs to take. The bottom line is, and we've seen it, Florida's played uh, Butler, who's a top 25 Ken Palm team. They, they've played um. Oh, God, they've played – I'm trying to think what number they are. Oklahoma, who's ranked in the top 40, which seems a little weird. It, it, he can't be out there in these defensive situations. His, his plus-minus is awful. He looks even more lost than DeAndre Ballard is out there with an even added level of laziness. We all know how talented he is offensively, and we know that this is probably a rut that he's in, and he'll be able to snap back into a scoring sense. The problem is if you're enough of a detriment on defense that you can't make it up on offense, no matter if you're playing at your offensive ceiling, there's no reason for him to be on the court I'm a fan of Jalen Hudson there's a reason he had NBA aspirations and went through the draft path that he did last year before coming back people clearly believe in him and see an offensive ability which has always been his thing that is well above average the problem is he has to have a more balanced game or this Florida team who as we see in the metrics is graded very high very high in defensive efficiency there's no reason for him to be out there there, there just honestly is no reason to be out for him to be out there if he's not playing defense. Florida, as they've always been under Mike White, thrives in turning defense into offense and getting it to transition. We saw the the uh, faster pace they played to get 
against the University of North Florida. Jalen Hudson just simply cannot be out there unless he starts giving a damn on defense. And it sounds harsh, but as a as a grad as a transfer, a guy who's a senior, a guy who's played in two different uh, Power Five conferences, this isn't something new to Jalen Hudson. This isn't something new that he's been knocked for. He's just got to get it together. He's a senior. There, there's no excuse at this point. Yeah, it was an early problem, and, and, and to that point, it was a, it was an issue under it was an issue under Seth Greenberg. It, it, this isn't long, um, and and it's just sometimes it's just about I don't want to say buy-in because I think Jalen is bought in. I just I, I don't know. It, well, well, I mean something you said too. Just uh, I like I remember first when when Jalen Hudson first started playing for the Gators after his redshirt year, and mm-hmm. you saw this guy that was six foot five, long. Um, pretty, uh, pretty functionally athletic and can create his own shot and hit it. And I just thought to myself, like one, how the heck was this guy, not a higher rated recruit coming out of high school and two, how could he, how could things fizzle out for him? You know, even at Virginia tech. And uh, that was kind of a thing last year where I was like, you know, like, how does it like th- this guy is the prototype of a, of a perimeter player you want in college basketball and even the NBA. And uh I think maybe we're starting to see some of the inconsistency that he had in his first two years that kind of uh, made things go sour at Virginia Tech. Um, but yeah, and one more thing, Jake, just to uh, just because you mentioned his poor play in transition, something I said on the previous segment, um, Jalen Hudson is shooting 11% in transition, which puts him like the 1600th out of the 1620 players that qualified it for, uh, for college <laughs> basketball. So uh, just just to back up what you were saying, Jake. Jeez, that I mean, it's you know, you know I, I think it'll come around with Hudson. I think a lot of people put too much stock into the early season blues, especially around the fact that he's playing around a younger team. You know, he's when he's on the court, he's playing around players like Nemhard, guys like Keontae Johnson, and those type of players who haven't played in the system. Now, that's not an excuse, but I think there's a lot of overreaction in college basketball early on because we see these high profile non conference matchups. I think Jalen Hudson will end up being fine this season. There's always a, a, the talk or a debate around Florida basketball that just seems to fizzle fizzle away from being an early season problem. I think that this will be one of those issues. I think he will get it together. I don't foresee Jalen Hudson being a long-term detriment to the team more so than he will be a helpful positive attribute. Now we've seen regression with players like Kayvon Allen. I just think with Jalen Hudson, I, I think it's still there. I, I think it might be more of a misunderstanding or something of that nature, then sort of like you said, then he's not buying in. I, that, that's, not, that's not the issue to me at this point. If he wasn't buying in, he more than likely would have left for the draft last season. Right, right. I, well, and part of it too, I think, is just the fact that, um, that Noah Locke has played so well and DeAndre Ballard has played so well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think yeah. if those guys haven't played so well, Jalen Hudson still would be able to be out there more often and playing more, uh, uh, playing more minutes and playing a bigger role. But, I mean, obviously a lot of people look to um, – the final possessions of Oklahoma where, where Hudson wasn't playing and Locke was out there, but it's like, like how, how could you have taken Locke out in that situation? He was shooting the ball. Well, he was excellent defending on the perimeter. Uh, and it's just, you know, he, he, he deserved the right to play in that situation. And Ballard has earned the right to, uh, to play in a lot of situations so far as well. So I even wonder if one, even one of those two weren't uh, playing so well, if Hudson would be getting more minutes and obviously his, uh, his early season struggles would be talked about a little bit less. And um, I, I think that, you know, if, uh, if one of those guys maybe takes a little bit of a step back because they are, you know, Noah Locke's a freshman and Ballard's young too, um, if, uh, if Hudson will just naturally get more minutes there because of it. And, and yeah, so, I talked oh, to, can I just add a quick point on that real quick? 
Yeah. I, I like from a coaching standpoint what has been done that if the hand hasn't been forced that Mike White feels that he needs to play a Jalen Hudson because of his name or because of what he has been. I think it's something that sort of happened early on with Casey Hill where he was put in maybe more situations than he shouldn't have been. I sort of like what White is doing here where he's not allowing at the moment the problem to be what it is. I, I think it, it sets a tone and it sets a point that the level of whatever he is requesting from Jalen Hudson on defense or would it be that he's not getting that he's showing right off the bat that it's not uh, that it's not acceptable I think that's better than when we see these Casey Hill situations that sort of get drawn out where maybe an offensive philosophy isn't understood or a certain style of play isn't understood I like that the problem is being addressed very early then Mike White saying you know what even though Jalen Hudson you could have maybe have been an NBA guy last year and you came back that doesn't mean that what mistake you make you can keep on doing it so I, I give props to white for that there's certain things that I know people don't like that he's done this season but I think that is one of the better things that he can do is address it early on before the bleeding just continues and continues yeah we're gonna we're gonna get into Mike a little bit in the in the Neil talks a little bit segment of the of the podcast but the <laughs> it's rare for me to, to chime in on anything with too much authority other than <laughs> other than to say <laughs> Well, when I'm especially when I'm talking to you guys, it's like oh, I'm going to listen and learn. Yeah, look, the Noah Locke thing is a great compare and contrast in terms of what what type of video it's putting on for for the rest of the team. I mean, if you can't embrace the way he's because we heard about the jump shot, but the way he just gets after it defensively is is kind of a sight to see. And they are. I mean, they didn't. Mike White was irritated because they didn't quote unquote defend at a high level against North Florida, but they did defend at a pretty high level against North Florida. They just didn't defend top 10 in the country, Ken Palm good, which is where they were after Atlantis. For everything that's gone wrong, they were ninth in defensive efficiency when they left the Bahamas. Exactly. Well, I mean, I mean, it's I some mean of, they, some they of those... less than a point per game, again, or a point per possession against right. North Florida. That's good. But <laughs> well, and some of the, some of those three point shots that were falling for North Florida. And I mean, I know they're I know they're a good three point shooting team, but uh, some of those threes that went in, I'm like, hey, if we if if we let those contested thirty footers go all all year, I mean, I'll be happy. I'll be happy if Florida lets other teams shoot those. So I think even the points per possession were probably a little bit deceiving, and I think Florida probably defended even better than uh, than those indicated. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that with the with the Butler game, right? I mean. Um... They, uh, they, they shot 52% on contested jump shots. I mean, when that happens, you know, sometimes you lose. <laughs> and Kamar Baldwin making uh, circus shots in the lane with, with help defense coming from behind. You know, what, what can you do when he makes those shots? Yeah, that's just an all an all world college basketball player there uh, who did his thing. So, um, yeah, I I just rather see the team giving the other team bad shots on defense and not worrying about too much if they went in or not. Yep. So I I want to ask Jake about about Keontae Johnson because it's a mm-hmm. guy that that's also somebody that appears to to defend at a pretty high level and gets after it on the glass. And we saw a little bit of against North Florida the way that. He's the kind of body that Florida has. We we have Keystone, um, but it's been a while since Florida had that kind of athletic body on the floor that's that explosive. Like, I don't know what his ceiling is offensively, but it seems like it's pretty high, even if he's not in that area code yet. 
Yeah, I think Keontae Johnson has sort of shown off the athleticism that we were expecting. And what Keontae Johnson is going to contribute as a freshman, as opposed to what he's going to contribute as a sophomore, junior, and senior, is going to be completely different. As a freshman, his role this year is going to be an energy guy. He's going to be a guy crashing the offensive boards. He's going to be a a guy working his way in the paint and tiring down defenders so that when they're on the offensive end, they're not giving as much energy and input. Keontae has hit, I think, two of eight three-pointers this year, but his stroke has looked good, and he's shooting just under 60% from uh, two-point range. We all knew the athleticism was there, but it's nice to see different shots falling and not just constant dunks, along with the dunks he's throwing down, which are more than impressive. (laughs) But it's nice to see more of a variety where – I think a lot of people saw his highlight reel and went great. This basically seems like, you know, a more generic brand version of Zion Williamson where the entire thing is dunks. And I think it's refreshing (laughs) to people to see that there is another side to his game, which I think Keontae was frustrated during the recruiting process that people thought he might not have as opposed to his brother, Keldon, who people saw as having a more complete game. But I think Keontae has contributed exactly what he needs to as a freshman, and he's doing what an incoming freshman needs to do who is a rotational player. I think come sophomore year, next season, come junior year, if he's still at the University of Florida, we'll see an even more expanded game plan. But he's doing what's asked of him and doing it pretty efficiently, it seems. Yeah, I would. Uh, one thing I like from his game is he leads the he leads the Gators in points off of cuts, which is really nice to see a player mm-hmm. that's yeah. looking to score off the ball other than um, just spotting up. Um, I think that that's kind of a lost art a little bit. Is I I feel like players don't look for the easy layups when uh, their defender falls asleep, and he's been really good in transition, fifty seven percent. Well, I guess that's not 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 absurd, but he's been good in transition. I yeah. mean, if he can use his athleticism in transition and his athleticism to score off cuts. Uh, it doesn't matter that his jump shot's probably a little bit below average. And if his, uh, you know, like you mentioned, if he gets better, uh, he, as he probably will, as he, uh, as he gets older, um, then he could be, be, be an extremely valuable role player. Yeah, so far, just a quick metrics thing. I mean, he, he has a true shooting percentage of 58%, which is solid. And he ranks just outside the top 200 players in defensive rebounding percentage, which takes more into account that he's not playing as many minutes as other players. So, analytically and statistically, as you mentioned, he doesn't have the perfect transition offensive rate, but computer-wise and analytically, he grades out as doing exactly what he needs to do as Florida's, let's say, eighth most important player, seventh most important player. Yeah, I I mean, I would say that he he knows his game and doesn't do anything beyond it, which is pretty refreshing from a freshman sometimes. And I mean, if he's your eighth best player, I think I'd take him over a lot of other teams' eighth best player. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that shows how deep the Gators are. It's a good sign. Yeah. So I saw, and I'll, I'll add this that I, that, you know, because most people will say, uh, Seth Davis of The Athletic, they know him because he goes on CBS and picks Florida to lose. <laughs> but it was interesting today that, that uh, Seth in a chat described Florida as having one of the most in- impressive freshman classes he'd seen. And it's like, weird to hear that because they're four and three and Atlantis was disappointing and so was the Florida State game right but Florida's freshmen have played well they seem to know their roles and um other than a rocky game in Tallahassee which my if if you want my <laughs> biggest criticism of Mike White so far this year it's why did you schedule that as a season opener um you know pretty good freshman class showing so far yeah. I mean, I, I definitely oh, oh, don't sorry, think that. Oh, no, 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 jump in. Oh, there. no, I just, I mean, I don't think the problem this year is definitely, it hasn't <laughs> been the freshman class, that's for sure. <laughs> um, 
And I think uh, it's interesting too. You see some guys like uh, like Javon Quinterly, a five star that can't get into the game for Villanova. And uh, you look at some of the other kind of top recruits, and uh, obviously there's been some great ones, but also some ones that uh, that haven't been so good. And I I don't know who has uh, three guys that are uh, like a high high usage starter in Nemhart, um, a another starter now in Noah Locke, and then one of the best bench pieces in Keontae Johnson. I mean I, that's about as good of a three man recruiting class as you can get. Have you have you heard of Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and Zion Williamson? Uh, you know, what? put the, put them against our three, and uh, it's close. Uh, yeah, no. we didn't say we didn't say the best. Jake. I'm we kidding. No. no, 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 and, and no. I it's can... really it's really Jones that actually puts them ahead. Other than you know, Florida was really neck and neck up until that. So. Yes, exactly. That's it. <laughs> just to just to jump in there though, something else that. I, I with Andrew Nemhart, I'm I'm gonna give I think two positives and one negative. Something he really needs to work on, or at least from the eye test, he makes passes that you just don't see freshmen make. I mean, you saw it a little bit with Trey Young last year with the flashier passes, but it's not even that Nemhart is trying to be flashy on these no look passes. It's just the smart play, and he makes it so consistently. More often than not. That yeah. play doesn't work because Kavarius fumbles it or because somebody fumbles the pass. It's not that the pass was bad. It's that the center, the power forward, fumbled it and could not come with it and couldn't get him the assist on the initial play. But he ranks 18th in the country in assists per game. He's one of only four freshmen in the uh, top 18, and the rest go to mid-majors at Duquesne, UNC, Wilmington, and Sacred Heart. So nobody playing at the power five level like Nemhart is. We saw his line the other day with, double-digit assists and no turnovers has been something that people expected him to be impressive as a passer, and he graded out sort of like a Rondo-type player. His three-pointer and his shot, while mechanically is way too low for the next level, at college, (laughs) as long as it goes in, it's working for now because he's quick enough. And as a 6'5 point guard in college, just simply, even though he's a freshman bigger than other point guards who are going to play him, it works. My one knock on Nemhard, which is something that he'll gain as he becomes a bigger player, as he gets more experience, He's had a bit of trouble finishing around the rim and looks for the pass a little more than the shot when he's running the pick and roll towards the rim. He, he's always looking for that assist, which, of course, you'd like it as a coach and a point guard, as a guy who's always looking to distribute. But I think because of his early, I guess, I don't want to call it failures because it's not a failure, but not immediate success at getting to the basket and scoring like he was in high school, I think he's been a little hesitant in it hesitant at it but more than anything these early games before the sec conference starts is where even though as you talked about mike white's schedule some really tough games is where you got to work on this stuff before it's conference season you're playing you know two three times a week and you're playing back-to-backs on the road in terms of not coming home and different things like that so the one thing with Nemhard that i really think he needs to work on is finishing around the rim and regaining that confidence that he had when he first came in yeah i think i think to that point, as a coach, you watch him take a lot of offhand shots at the at the basket, and you can get away with that in high school because, well, for one, defenders aren't as disciplined even if they are as big. So sometimes when you switch to that offhand, you get reached and you get fouled anyway, even if you don't finish. And like that's just not going to happen as much in college. The defenders are a little more vertical; they're a little more disciplined underneath the basket. So I think, like, I'd like to see him go with the dominant hand a little bit more at the rim until he can consistently put those offhand like layups in. We saw him miss a couple in the Oklahoma game in particular that were pretty costly. Yeah, I, I would like to see him too uh, just go up uh, looking for contact and then trying to finish. It seems like he's also kind of the, the off foot finishes have come from him trying to 
get the ball up quickly before the defender gets there. Yep. And that uh, not, obviously doesn't give you a chance to, uh, to take contact and maybe get fouled, but it also is just a tough shot to finish. And um, just something as Jake was talking, I, I went and looked. Um, so, J- or, so Andrew Nemhart is um, 35.3% uh, finishing around the rim, which is quite low. That's in the sixth percentile. Um, and also, uh, yeah, so on 17 shots at the rim, he's only been fouled once. Sorry, 18 shots at the rim, he's gotten fouled once, which is not a very high rate of getting <laughs> no, fouled when good. you're driving towards the hoop. And I think part of that is like what you guys were talking about, going with the offhand, trying to flip it up quick. Um, I'd like to see him try to go um, protect the ball, take contact, and try to finish. I know he's not super built for – he's not built powerfully, um, but I think he uh, – that's how I kind of saw him finishing in, in high school against smaller guys. And I think that uh, he'll get to the point where he can finish like that against bigger players and also might uh, draw a few more fouls, which uh, would help too. Yeah, he did it a lot when he played us. I, I, I'm big leaguing you guys here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but when, when he played us, uh, he, he would do that. He would, he would get underneath. And, and, of course, he had R.J. Barrett to, like, <laughs> clean up any messes, so it didn't really matter. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, we had Zach Scott on him. who's was at Florida Gulf Coast. And, you know – Zach could Zach was disciplined enough to defend that, and so he didn't score against us. He had zero points, mm-hmm. he had like seven assists. But I mean, you kind of saw that that could happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd really like him to initiate contact, like you said, because I think he can shoot the free throws. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he's been a great free throw shooter yet, but I mean, I would just, I still would definitely love just the act of him, uh, uh, the act of him kind of getting to the rim, and also just, <laughs> I, I mean, I just don't think it's a. As we talked about, putting up in, in off le- an off-footed, off-handed um, flick layup towards the rim to try to avoid the defender coming is just – it's a low percentage shot. And I think, again, from an analytics standpoint, um, you, when, you get, when you attack the basket, you want to look for a foul as much as you want right. to look for those points. And um, to take away a high percentage shot and the, and the chance to get fouled, um, that's not a, it's not a great shot. Eric, if, if I can just add in a quick stat in there, even more than Nemhard, it has been – a little bit the uh, whole team, they rank in free throw attempts to field goal attempts on Ken Palm. They rank 286. So they're one of the wow. bottom 75 teams yeah, in the country bad. as a whole getting to the free throw line and then rank 278th in the country in free throw percentage, shooting at about a 65% clip from the line. So I think it's been hesitancy with the worriness of missing at the free throw line. But same thing as you mentioned, this a uh, little bit of a scaredness to go into that contact. You talked about Nemhard, 18 drives around the rim only one time going to the free throw line. I, I completely agree with you. It's been a lack, not only with Nemhard, though, with the whole team getting to the free throw line. And that's a way to also slow the game if it's getting away a little bit from you, not having to burn a timeout initially, just a way to reset that pace. And I think that's been something that has been hard for them is getting to the free throw line. It's something they're going to have to work on or else they're not going to be able to adjust and make on-the-fly adjustments as quickly as other teams are. So, Jake, um, you know, I want to I want to get into to, to Coach White and some mm-hmm. of the stuff that I, I broke down a little bit, but I wanted to uh, to just kind of ask you guys both. I mean, obviously, Florida has a pretty big week coming up, I think, from a quadrant re- win resume standpoint. Mm-hmm. I don't know where West Virginia will end up. It looks like they're kind of figuring out who they are, too, like Florida is, which is also kind of why I think that's such a huge game. Because, you know, right now I haven't seen anything that says Florida's going to beat Michigan State. Where are you on that? Um, I'll, I'll jump in first. Just real quick, the, we- the weirdest thing about those two games is Ken Palm is predicting a win in both West Virginia and Michigan State. 
which which which, which is very interesting but i guess they say the computers know um you know coming up this week this is going to show a lot of florida's true colors they are officially seven games into the season and i think they're at the point where well yes they're still getting into the flow of themselves they need to be playing at a point where they can say this is our offense this is our defense this is the way they play in terms of finding their identity west virginia is a little bit down it is Still going to be a tough game. I'm, I'm actually going to be fortunate to be there. But it's it's not the same West Virginia team as last season. Javon Carter had such an unbelievable impact offensively and defensively as the lead of their full court press and as their point guard that it's been a little hard for them to find that option. So I think if Florida, especially Andrew Nemhard in that game where he's going to be especially pressured and when he comes out, Kayvon Allen is going to be especially pressured at the point guard position. That's going to be a game where if you can turn it around you can get a win and you can lock in defensively hell you might have to beat West Virginia 60 to 55 but but if that's what it takes that's the way Florida's going to win that game they, they don't need to turn it into a pace battle they don't need to full court press West Virginia right back I don't think that's the correct way to go about it Florida I mean as we've seen the season is playing at basically a bottom 25 pace in the entire country I don't think playing a sped up fast paced game with a freshman point guard and a backup point guard who's not really a point guard is necessarily (laughs) the best option against West Virginia yeah I I think that's a that's a great take I think that West Virginia um, I, I know on Ken Palm, uh, they still have some of that preseason stuff, so it's yep. not super accurate. But, I mean, West Virginia's defense is, like, in the 30s. So it's this isn't the, the West Virginia team that's going to clamp you down and uh, like they might have had in the past. And I think, obviously, Javon Carter being gone is, uh, is really good for Andrew Nemhart. But, um, yeah, I, I think the more interesting game probably – well, maybe not more interesting, but I, I'm really interested to see, uh, to see when the Gators play Michigan State because Michigan State is – one of the rare teams that's just going to pound it down low on you. And uh, just the, so many of their shots um, come from Kenny Goins and, and come from Nick Ward. And um, I think it's going to be, a, be an interesting challenge for the Gators front court. Um, yeah. Maybe they're going to have another player healthy or two by 10. I mean, it's kind of touch and go, but uh, that'll be interesting to see because yeah, they, they throw the ball down low to Nick Ward and, and uh, Kenny Goins and uh, they go to work, they can score one-on-one or they kick it out to Cassius Winston or Joshua Langford, who's uh, who are both really good three points. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that Michigan state is like a super dynamic offense, but it's effective because they throw it down low, they go inside out and they do it over and over and over again and make you guard multiple actions. And um, yeah, it'll challenge Florida's defense that I, I think has uh, looked really good so far. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, and I think Michigan State is a good is a good place, bizarrely, to uh, to transition to everybody's favorite Twitter topic, which is when is Mike White getting fired? Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and answer the question for everybody. And shout out to my boy Neil Schulman at all kinds of weather in particular. He's not. Um, <laughs> it's just it's not happening right now. <laughs> he's not getting fired. He's not getting fired tomorrow. He's not getting fired at the end of the season, even if they make the NIT. The dude is a top five class coming in. What are you going to do? Just abandon that? He's not getting fired. He's not getting fired. <laughs> We've established that he's not getting fired. Um, but but let's go ahead and, and dive deeper. I, and I, I promised Eric and didn't give Jake. Poor Jake got no warning that this was coming. <laughs> and so here's, here's my furious hammer dropping of, of Mike White hating. And I'm not saying that he's not a young coach who can grow. He is, for the 18,000th time, a young coach who has to get better, who has to understand probably offensive continuity more than anything better. 
um, and who, by his own admission, the thing I like most about Mike actually is probably what a lot of people dislike is that he's so candid and self-reflexive. And it's almost to a fault where he's like, oh, I was shell-shocked that that happened. Or, yeah, I've got to do a much better job of putting Kayvon Allen in spots yep. to be efficient. And it's all stuff that, like, we know is true. People are like, well, why didn't you know that? And it's like, well, he did. He just happened to say it out loud, which coaches don't do. But but let's dive in a little bit. Um, let's start with Tony Bennett. He's one of the names people said, oh, they should have gone after Tony Bennett when Billy left. Now, keeping in mind that Mike ran Tony out of the building in the NCAA tournament two years ago. Um, here's where Tony's teams were from an efficiency standpoint in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, 17th in 2017. Okay, compared to Florida, who was fifth. So Florida was far better and ran them out of the building in the tournament as a result. 22 this year for Florida. Um, right now, Virginia's fourth. Virginia's eighth in offensive efficiency so far this season. That's the main reason why, is that they've improved on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. The prior two years, they were 50th and 30th in offense. Florida, under White, has been uh, 35th. They're 46th this season. Mm-hmm. Sorry, 85th, 41st, and 25th. So the 85th was his first season. That came a year after Billy Donovan, the god, was 125th with the same player. So <laughs> um, we're just starting there. So if you want to look at, oh, their sets are boring and they're not crisp offensively, actually, metrics say they're more crisp than Virginia is offensively, or at least have been for the last three seasons. It's probably why they beat them in the NCAA tournament. Should we go to Xavier and Chris Mack? Because that was the other big name. I think we should. And we all know that Mack has since moved on. Mm-hmm. And we all saw uh, Xavier undress FSU, which is something that Mike White has not been able to do. But Xavier, 2017, 31st overall Kim Palm ranking. Um, obviously didn't get to the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. 16, so a round out sooner. 29th offense, 67th defense. The year after, 15th in Kempom, a little better than Florida, who finished 22nd last year. Most of that was because Mac does understand offense really well. They were 8th in offense efficiency, 67th in defense efficiency last year. And now under Travis Steele, they're defending terribly, 135th, and they're 23rd in offense. So their offense has dropped off a little bit. The point being that there's more glaring problems with, say, a Chris Mack team from an efficiency standpoint than any Mike White team. Uh, I could do Archie Miller and go on, but I kind of want to let you guys jump in here and like have your chance to defend Mike White for a couple minutes. It's ridiculous that we have to keep having these conversations. Honestly, as a Florida basketball fan, as a basketball coach, and as somebody that was affiliated with the program, at least in an indirect manner, it's it's kind of reflective of where our fan base is in, in a lot yeah. of ways. And I, I hate to say that. Um, because I don't want to insult anybody, but I think a lot of the people that are listening to this show probably are kind of in lockstep with us. Uh, can we stop having this conversation? It's toxic to the program. Um, and, you know, maybe just see what happens. They had a bad tournament. Um, I think that the team is better than their record. Uh, and we'll see. They're gonna if they're not, we'll see because the SEC there's no place to hide. Yeah, I here's here's sort of a point I have with that about where I, I guess Florida fans thinking is so so Florida is in they're not in the blue blood tier. They're they're not where Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, UNC. They're just they're simply not in that tier. That's not where they are. But 
they're in the second tier in terms of where you look at teams like, you know, like Michigan, Texas, Wisconsin, the big Gonzaga, states, the big, yeah, I guess we can throw Gonzaga in there. The, I, I was more so going for the big state schools with big state money who have had success gotcha. before and have the ability on any given year to really make the sweet 16 or elite eight because of the program they are and the talent they bring in. The problem is Florida, despite being a tier two team, has a fan base with blue blood expectations because of a stretch with Billy Donovan, who let's, let's just put it out there is one of the greatest college coaches of all time. It is not easy to replace it. It's sort of like the Tim Tebow factor. We saw when Tim Tebow left and someone had to replace him, no matter how good of a job or any of a job you do at trying to replace greatness. One, it's going to be really hard. And two, people are nostalgic. So people are going to remember the good things so much more than they're going to remember the bad things. They're not going to remember Billy Donovan's record in close games. They're not going to remember him losing, what was it, three straight years in the Elite Eight? People like to honeymoon things. People like to remember the good times. It's because we're in the moment and they've lost a couple of games that they should have won. They probably should have beaten Oklahoma. Butler's still a top 25 team. That's a hard game. You can't go in expecting that win. Mike White is going to have his flaws. He's not going to come in as Billy Donovan, and it's not fair to expect that of him. And I agree in terms of the toxicity of bringing up the fire him or some sort of discipline every time something goes wrong. He can't have the same leash that John Calipari and uh, Coach Krzyzewski and Coach Roy Williams have. It's not the same program. There's not the same value being put in. There's not the same bags being acquired under the table. It's just not (laughs) how it is. It is a different program on a different level. doesn't mean they can't win a national championship. It just means that expecting to at least reach one or the final four every year is absurd, especially when you look at the fact that Mike White, starting this year, is really starting to get get to use his own players that he recruited. Chris Chioso, at the very end, was a... um, was a Billy Donovan recruit. In Mike White's past years, he's used guys like Casey Hill, guys he didn't recruit, guys that he did not specifically hold for this team. How can you judge a guy who's done well and reached an Elite Eight without his own players and is coming into fruition with a top five recruiting class this season and a pretty damn good one last season? You can't let a guy and praise him for having an amazing recruiting class and then not let him use it. That's it's not logical, and you can't have this debate with people if they're not going to be logical and willing to give a guy time to work with something that he's built. It's just it, – it, it's simply not fair. Yes, there's things he does wrong. Yes, there's things on offense that irk a lot of people in terms of just four guys standing around the three-point line. But, like, people are treating him like he's Johnny Jones or, like, Leonard Hamilton coaching in the NCAA <laughs> tournament. Like, he's not doing that terribly. It's not the end of the world every time they lose a game. They're not Duke. Like, I, well, and, and I would argue, and, 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 you know, I would argue that, that it's not even he's not doing terribly. I mean, he's doing well. Here's a yes. few more numbers. He, here's a few more numbers. They were top five in quadrant one wins last year. Okay? Only four teams had more quadrant one wins. He has a winning record versus ranked opponents at Florida, which, you know, there were the first six, seven years of the Donovan era, take out the first Final Four. That wasn't something that Billy was doing at that rate. Yes, he hasn't won an SEC tournament game. Anybody want to guess how long it took Billy to win an SEC tournament game? Oof. The answer is a while. It was his fourth season. What year is it for Mike White? It's year four. Consistency has definitely been an issue for Florida, but they've been top 25 in defensive efficiency every season he's been in Gainesville. 
They've been in top 50 in offense since year number one. And remember, his first offense, the NIT quarterfinal team, was far better than Billy Donovan was with the same guys. Mm -hmm. And he has a top five recruiting class coming in. I could have smacked down Archie Miller and Shaka Smart, who are two of the other, oh, we got to go get that guy names. Forget for a moment that Shaka Smart wasn't going to leave Texas after two months to come to a place where he spent 12. <laughs> but these are just some of the names that were presented to me when I went into my silent rage on Twitter the other night because someone called him the basketball Willie Taggart. Yeah. Oh. That's a dude well, with a losing record, man. Like, how can you even compare the two? Yeah, let's compare a guy with a losing record to a guy that's won 70% of his games as a head coach. And, and, the same and has thing. gone to an elite age. Well, that's, that's one thing to me that is the most baffling is like, so last season, um, I feel like a lot of people look at last season like it was a disappointment. And I know, yes, you'd like to win a few more games and maybe go a little bit deeper in the tournament. But I mean, they lost in the round of 32 by a single possession. On so, the road. On the, yes, on the road. So, I mean, if the ball bounces di- like what, differently on one possession and Florida wins and makes a Sweet 16 and Mike White has an, an Elite 8 and a Sweet 16 back-to-back, I feel like there would be no talk about this even with this season's early struggles. So, it's just hilarious to me that like a one-possession basketball game in March last year like has totally shifted the – the viewpoints to the point of like, Hey, uh, you know, the mid major Mike hashtag fire this <laughs> basketball, Willie Tagger. Like it, it's just so foolish to me. And I think that um, like you said, Neil, it, it's, it's hard because I, I it makes me want to go off on some fans and like, I don't want to be rude to fans, but I will say that it seems like a whole lot of the guys that are mostly football fans that then tune into <laughs> basketball oh. that have the viewpoint. Of, and, of Mike and, White. You know what? And, and to your point, Eric, because I want to let Jake get back in on this mm-hmm. to kind of close this out, but it, this is a good way to segue to Jake because it was him and Kevin Brockway who who, who defending Mike. My boy Brockway. Uh, yeah. Legend. Who defi- the legend who defi- Kevin Brockway. The legend Kevin Brockway who defending Mike White said, this team probably plays for a national championship if John Igunu doesn't get his hurt. You get hurt. Do you know that in the four games before Igunu got hurt, not only did Igunu have two double-doubles in four of those games, one yeah. of was against Kentucky, Florida's average margin of victory in those games was 19.5 points. Mike White was running people out of buildings. No, including he, he was. Yeah. No, and, and, and people for, forget how important he was because <laughs> it's, the, it's the reason this team has been stuck with Kavarius Hayes playing 25 to 30 minutes a game for, what, the better course of the past two years? Well, he blew out. He blew out at Bunu's knee himself. Yes. Jake. didn't you know? He, that's why he has no big men on his roster. Yes, I There's forgot. No big men on the yes. roster. Yes, and he and he injured Gorjak Gak in practice and made sure not to get his knee scoped. What, what right, he, and he, to be. he yes. recruited Chase Johnson with all the concussions. That was his fault. Also. Yes, he, and you know what? The last point I will make as not to because it's not fair to patronize the whole Gator fan base because it's really not. It's not. I, I I think. A lot of it, as we've seen, and I don't want to get too into this, but as we've seen in the world and politics and sort of every uh, nature of, of the world where communications is, the loud, the 10% who are the loudest sound louder than the 90% who just don't care enough or, or who just don't want to get into it. I think the 10% of the Florida fan base who really believes Mike White should be fired and should go, which is just an asinine take as we've 
obviously discussed through the eye test, through numbers, through whatever you want to get. It's the 10% acting the loudest and the other 90% just saying, why am I going to tweet back at this person? Like, like, why am I even going to engage <laughs> with this? This is a nonsense point and it's not worth it. So you don't see as mon- much of the, I guess, Mike White defenders as you would expect, whereas you see so many more of the people criticizing him because there's no one fighting back because people realize it's not worth it. And then the only thing left out there in the medium that is Florida Florida basketball takes is Mike White needs to be fired. And that's just, <laughs> that's just not the only take, but it's the only take that's getting out because it's the loudest and people don't want to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's I think there's a lot to that. So uh, let's all wish Eric luck in his uh, his game tonight. We also have our season opener. So, uh, yeah, Jake, thanks for joining us, and, and we'll get you back on hopefully for a uh, a wrap from the garden after a big victory next Tuesday. No, I'm excited. That that should be a good game. It's uh, it's it, it ended up working out well for their schedule that they got in since they weren't originally supposed to be in that game. They replaced, I think it was Michigan. Was it who they replaced or Indiana? Indiana is the team there. I, I think yeah, they, they replaced they replaced uh, Indiana. Romeo Langford. So the best thing in this scenario, for Florida is even though they've had a rough start to their uh, non-conference schedule, they have a game that originally wasn't there and that they got put in. So it's another opportunity for Florida to bounce back and uh, make the Mike White haters go to the Mike White extenders. <laughs> and they and they get a chance to beat Butler. Yes, the- again. What, do you guys know the last time that a team played another team twice in non-conference? That was no, not. I, I I don't, but that sounds like an Eric Fawcett question. Yeah, I was going to say Eric. If if you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh like man. It. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Of course. That's our show this week. We hope you uh, enjoyed a long breakdown of uh, Atlantis. Thanks for sticking with us. Um, Remember to download and uh, subscribe. Give us a rating. We will be back after uh, West Virginia. Probably post from the garden since Jake and I will be there. Okay? See you all later. Go Gators.